0: Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to today's sermon as Pastor Stephen looks at Romans chapter three nine through twenty as we reflect on our own sin and how we look at that through God's word. Hey, if you got a Bible, I'll open it up Romans chapter three. We're uh, on week number twelve uh, in our series through the book of Romans, and. Uh, It's a series entitled, A Life Transformation, and the author of Romans, Paul, truly had experienced a life transformation. Uh, He crucified and, uh, well, he persecuted Christians before he came to Christ, and then now he became a uh, kind of a defendant. Uh, He became one who shared Christ all around, wherever he would go. And so, he's going to pick up in verse 9 this morning. And and I just want to warn you ahead of time, uh, the reason why we we, we sang a little bit longer, because for the first 58 minutes of the sermon today, um, it's going to be real hard. It's going to be a mirror right there. The good news is, the last 58 minutes is going to be really good. So, you hang on to me, okay? Uh, (laughs) Visitors are like, He's kidding, right? He's kidding. It, I'm not. So, just get you a good seat. Everything will be fine. Um, today, he's going to verses 9 through 20, and it's a long passage. You just see it's what it is, but it all ties together. Because what Paul is saying is, through this passage of Scripture, that not only does this passage of Scripture serve as a mirror to reveal to us who we are and what we're like, he says the entire Bible is that way. The entire Bible is this mirror that we hold before us uh, reminds me of a story that I heard about this guy on Christmas Eve. He realized he had not purchased a gift for his wife at Christmas time, and, uh, and some of you can identify with that. And uh, and he didn't go to Walgreens like you do. He ran at the last moment to a big department store about five minutes before they were gonna close and he ran up to the, uh, uh, to the cosmetic counter and there is a worker that was there and he said, ma'am, listen, I know you're about to close the doors. I have no gift for my wife tomorrow morning. I need to get her something and I need to get her something nice. And so the lady reached underneath the counter, pulled out a $95 bottle of French perfume. She said, this is really nice. He said, no, that's too expensive. You need to find something Uh, a little cheaper. And so she said, okay. And so she reached underneath the counter, pulled out a smaller bottle of cologne, and and he showed it to her, and he said, well, how much does that cost? And she said, $60. He said, man, that's still too expensive. I need something a little bit cheaper. And so she found a smaller bottle of perfume. It was not from France. Uh, It was from Des Moines, Iowa. And He says, she said, this is pretty nice. And he said, okay, I I think I'll take that. How much does that cost? She said, $30. He said, ma'am, I don't think I'm making myself clear. I need something a little bit cheaper. Do you have anything cheaper? And she said, well, okay. She she rummages through the box and she's like, well, there's this tester bottle here. We've sprayed it several times. It's got about half of the perfume that's left in it. He said, how much will that cost? She said, $15. He said, ma'am, you don't get what I'm saying. I need to get something really cheap. Show me something really cheap. And so she reached underneath, pulled out a mirror, turned it around, and said, look at this. This is the cheapest thing we have. Ladies, please don't point. Don't point, okay? (laughs) That's what Scripture's going to do this morning. Scripture's going to sit there, and it's going to hold up that mirror, and it's going to say, look, and kind of to tell you before we read the Scripture, what it is going to be is not very pleasant for us to behold. Look there, verse 9, Romans chapter 3. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They've altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is in an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law there is knowledge of sin. Let's stop right there. He's holding up this mirror. And please hear me. This is not one of those cheap mirrors, okay? Uh, This is not one of those mirrors in some clothing stores that are designed in such a way to make you look slimmer and better. This is one of those, ladies, this is one of those uh, makeup mirrors, you know what I'm talking about, extremely magnified with lights that are all around it. Not too long ago, Jennifer and I stayed in a, uh, in a hotel, and there in the bathroom was one of these makeup mirrors, and it was extremely large, and it had lights built in, lights around the outside of it. And I thought, you know what, I think I'll look at this. And then on the back side, it even was a greater magnification. And I flipped it over, and I was there, and I was looking, and my forehead looked like a roadmap. map. And, uh, and, you know, and I looked at it, and I'm like, no, thank you. And I turned it off because it showed every single blemish. Honestly, I was looking at it, and I'm like, who's this old man looking back at me? But I get why you do that. You do that, ladies, in case you have any little blemish. You want to be able to see it. You want to be able to cover that up. Well, what he is saying here in this passage of Scripture is when we look at God's Word, it's like a magnifying mirror that points out our imperfection it exposes us shows us just how guilty we are And I know, I know that maybe you're here today and you're like, well, hang on just a second, I came to church because I don't want to hear about guilt. I I don't want to hear about blemish. I don't want to hear about failure. And I'm sad to report to you that there are churches today that never talk much about failure and guilt and sin. And just as there are fat-free foods out there, there are guilt-free churches out there, and they never talk about sin. They never talk about failure or guilt. They simply ignore it. We're not going to ignore it today because God's Word doesn't ignore it. And so you're going to have to hang with me because the first part is going to make you feel pretty bad. But thank goodness there's a second part. Okay? So some of you may only make it to halftime. Just know if you walk out of here at halftime, woe is you. Here's the first thing he talks about. He talks about our guilty nature. Here's the mirror. And again, it's not just the scripture we're studying today. It's the scripture in general. Here is the Bible. And as I look at the Bible, the Bible itself exposes me for who I really am. And I'm guilty. I have a guilty nature. The pastor, John MacArthur, and he's a great Bible scholar. I want you to hear what he wrote about this guilt. He said, no matter how often a man tells himself he is good, he inevitably sees that he cannot help thinking, saying, and doing wrong things and then feeling guilty about it. Guilt drives people to alcohol. It drives people to drugs, to despair, insanity, and more and more frequently to suicide. He writes, after playing psychological games about blaming his environment or blaming other people or society in general, man still cannot escape the feeling of his own guilt. People want to get rid of their guilty feelings. They just don't know how. The more they probe for solutions, MacArthur says, the guiltier they feel. And here's how he summarizes it. Men feel guilty because they are guilty. And this guilty feeling is only a symptom of the greater problem, which is sin. You and I are, we feel guilty because we are guilty. And the sooner you and I come to the realization that we are sinners, both by nature, we were born that way, and also by choice, then all of a sudden we're able to move on to receive the goodness of God. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, all right, I'm going to hold this mirror up and it's going to reflect to you who you really are. Oh yeah, you have this guilty nature about you. And then all of a sudden he just starts dissecting all the blemishes that this mirror has pointed out. The first one, we've got rotten thoughts. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, no one understands, no one really seeks God. Matter of fact, look at what he says in verse 12. He says, all have turned away, they have together become unprofitable. The term unprofitable there in the uh, original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, it means this, something that has spoiled. Something that is soured. Again, something that is Rotten. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a big old glass of ice cold milk. To me, there's, there's nothing better. And uh, I grew up in a home where we drank whole milk. Matter of fact, I didn't know till I went to college there was anything but whole milk. My wife, whom we've been married for 23 years, she grew up in a home that used skim milk exactly <laughs> so when we got married automatically a conflict i like whole milk she likes skim milk and so we had to come to a compromise and so so i said i will no longer drink whole milk because we're a couple now right you know i know somebody at the first service said well you could have bought your own milk she could have bought her own milk. no we have been united as one that's the problem with some of you. You're buying your own milk. <laughs> I said, no longer will I drink whole milk, and and you know, and since Jennifer at that time was primarily the one that went to the grocery store, she brought home skim milk. Not the same. Not the same. Skim milk is a cruel joke. <laughs> and uh, recently as we've been together longer and life changes and all that kind of stuff, I'm the one that usually will run to the grocery store and get milk and all that kind of stuff. And guess what? I'm not bringing home skim milk. You know what I'm bringing home? No, not whole milk. That stuff will kill you. Are you kidding me? My I bring home 1%, but we're headed in the right direction. You know what I'm saying? You drink skim for 20 years, 1%, you're like, I'm drinking cream. Oh, wow. But have you ever done this before, guys? Have you ever done this? Have you ever, whether it's skim, hole, somewhere in between, I don't know. My, my, one of my daughters had me get oat milk yesterday. What? Are you kidding me? How do they milk oats? I have no idea. <laughs> and so, but have you ever done it before where you get ready, you pour yourself a big glass of milk or you fill your bowl of cereal with your milk and, and you get ready to drink it and you eat it and all of a sudden something's sour. That's terrible. Ruins a good good glass or a good bowl of cereal. So here's what I do. To make sure that it's not sour, what do I do? You know what I do? I open the top and I smell it. He's talking about a life here that is rotten. A life here that is spoiled. He's talking about our thoughts, our minds. Something's gone wrong with it. It is spoiled. It it came that way, and we continue to choose that way. So he's making this statement here about our hearts and our character. We all have rotten minds. We all have rotten hearts, and we start that way. It's our nature. In fact, Paul, church, Paul is so convinced of this. Listen to what he says at the last part of verse 12. He says, there is none who does good, no, not one." He employs a triple negative. Very seldom do we see this in the Bible. We hardly ever use triple negatives. Maybe you know what a double negative is. I can remember growing up there in uh, the small little rural school that I went to in West Tennessee, and I had a school teacher who used to always tell us, don't never use no double negative. And so when you use a double negative, it cancels each other out. Not so in the Greek language. If anything, it intensifies what is being said. So he not only uses a double negative, he uses a triple negative in this passage of Scripture. And it's like he's saying, you know what? No, not never one person who's ever really done good. That's how rotten and spoiled the mind is. That our thoughts, again, we're holding up the mirror. It's revealing who we really are. That our minds are wicked and sinful and evil. You're like, well, but there are some people in this room that look like they've got it all together. Notice, he doesn't put a parenthesis. Everyone's mind and thoughts are rotten except those who look like they have it all together. No, we, we, we all We all are looking in the mirror. But first, he mentions that rotten thoughts. But secondly, he talks about our throats. And and I've written down rancid throats, in case you had not figured they're all going to be ours today. Rancid throats. Have you discovered that usually most people sin by what they say and how they say it? And so Paul is sitting here, and Paul's holding the mirror up, and he says, hey, now let's talk about how you talk and how you start out with this Dirty, rotten, sinful mouth. He even says that our throats are like open graves. What's in an open grave? A rotten, stinking, decaying corpse. He said that's what the human throat's like. That's how it speaks. That's how it speaks. Now, we sit there and we say, okay, all right, something's wrong with my throat. I got bad breath. I'm going to gargle with scope or I'm going to throw in a piece of gum or something along those lines. I'm going to help the matter. He, he is not saying that you can do anything along those lines right there. Basically, what he is saying is nothing will take away that bad, sinful heart that we all have except Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can take that throat and bring anything good out of it Because it's an open grave. Then notice what he says in verse 13. Their tongues practice deceit. And we've talked about this around here many times. None of us taught our kids or grandkids how to lie. They just randomly, naturally get it. Right? If anything, we're what? Don't lie. Quit lying, man. You little liar. Quit lying. He says there are deceitful tongues, and that is all of us. And so he's not painting a very good picture here. We, in verse 13, look at what he says. He says, the poison of asp is under their lips. Now, during this time, there was a poisonous snake called an asp. It would have been kind of like a, a cobra. Uh, let's just think of, in our culture, in our world, rattlesnakes. In the throat of this snake was a sack that was full of venom. And they had fangs that were like hypodermic needles. And they stayed up in the roof of its mouth until it was agitated. And it would strike out at something, and automatically the fangs would come down automatically they would push up into the venom sac, and when they struck they would release poison that's what he says right here i mean could you guys imagine let's just imagine that today somebody released a couple of rattlesnakes in our preschool playground can you imagine how how horrific that would be i mean you don't even want to talk about it right Well, what he is saying in this passage of Scripture is, you and I have two things on our face right now, our lips, that by what we say and how we say it are more destructive than rattlesnakes. And if there's some of you listening to me today that have been hurt by things that have been said to you and things said about you and there's still an open wound there and then there's still others of you that have said things to people or things about people unkind things hateful things hurtful things and it's not yet healed he says you've got to understand your your fallen human nature what we say and how we say it can be extremely destructive so he says, all right, we're holding the mirror up, right? We're taking a look at you. It's not a pretty picture. You got a sour mind. Or, or here's how we would say it in West Tennessee. I don't know. I think this is a word. I don't know. I debate back and forth. And I know I very easily could look it up. But you guys are so sophisticated. You've probably never even heard this word before. When milk would go really bad and it'd be chunky. You guys call that Yogurt. We called it collabered. Have y'all 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 not y'all not from out in the country, are you? Have y'all heard that word before? Some of you have, some of you have. Collabered. He's like, hey, listen, your mind is like rotten, collabered milk. Your throat, the things that come out of your throat, stop and think. The very reason that we've been given a throat, the very reason we've been given a tongue, and we've been given lips, is what? Is to exalt King Jesus, to make much of the gospel. And then he gives us a third one. You've got a rank temperament. I mean, we're all messed up. Look in verse 14. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I read that and I thought, that describes our society perfectly. We live in a profane, vulgar society. I I was sitting behind a car just the other day at a red light that had the most vulgar, profane bumper sticker on the back of it that I was ready to get out of my car and drag them out of their car, pull it off their bumper sticker, and put it on their forehead. And I thought, don't, don't do that. They may watch you on TV. The way people use words today. Well, that's just how we live. That's just society today. I can remember as a child, uh, my grandmother, who, who she went to be home to be with the Lord like 23, four years ago. I can remember her sitting there and saying when they went to see at the movie theater, Gone with the Wind, when that famous uh, line came about, frankly, my dear, I don't give a, and you know what he didn't give, that everybody was appalled. She said, even the media was outraged. The media. And today we're like, well, that's kind of mild. That's not that big of a deal, right? Well, we've come a long way, baby. And we've gone in the wrong direction. A vulgar, profane society. And can I tell you what really hurts? What really hurts is those folks who name the name of Jesus Christ, yet you get them outside of the walls of this building and they are just as profane and vulgar as someone who does not claim the name of Jesus Christ. There's some of you listening to me today that honestly, you need to sit there and you need to say, you know what, Lord, I'm laying my tongue down. You say, well, you know, I got my own business and I've got workmen. And that's the only language that they understand. Hey, instead, how about using that tongue to make much of Jesus Christ? Those old boys might get saved. And instead of cussing them, all of a sudden, y'all start singing praise and worship songs together. My goodness, like pulling teeth to get y'all to clap. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Is it okay? Is it not okay? I mean, with y'all 11 years, you know it's okay. You say, well, where does that come from? He says, a, a wicked heart. Sinful fallen heart. Sinful minds. Sinful throat. Sinful lips. We speak wickedly because of that. Look what he says in verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed flood. Now, America has never been more advanced technologically than we are right now, but we've never been emptier morally than we are right now. uh, We think that we're going to uh, advanced. We think that we're going to get better. All you've got to do to be able to see the wickedness of the human heart is to simply look around. We are a violent society, and we are getting more and more violent day by day. I ran across a statistic, and this is extremely disturbing. Dr. Alan Barnett, an MIT statistician, he said this, that a child born in America has a greater statistical probability of being murdered than did an American soldier who left for World War II. I'm just saying, he's holding up the mirror to you and I, and he says, Look at you, your guilty nature, your thoughts are wicked, your throats are wicked, your temperament I mean, everything about you. And, and then he mentions a fourth thing that kind of is a result of our guilty nature, and that is we have a ruining torment. That people today are miserable, people today are are tormented because they've not dealt with that nature of guilt, the guilt of sin in their life. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, destruction and misery are in their ways. There are a lot of folks today that are absolutely miserable. And the sad thing is, guys, there are a lot of folks who proclaim to be Christians today that are absolutely miserable. I look out across uh, the congregation on a lot of Sunday mornings, and I'm telling you, I've seen more pleasant faces on a bottle of poison than I see in this room. I don't know what it is. Some of you have perfected the Christian holy look. You know what that is? It's a cross between acid indigestion and this migraine headache that we have. And some of you especially, man, you've got down that whole Baptist aerobics, right? Here's how that goes. I just wish one day, I wish one day somebody would be a little bit more concerned about the depth of my sermon than the length of my sermon. And so he's sitting here and he's saying, guys, guys, don't you see what is happening? Don't you see what's taking place? There's a lot of torment that's going on today because folks, even folks who who profess the name of Christ because they've not unloaded the guilt that comes along with sin. Matter of fact, look in verse 17. He says, And the way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. I think it'd be healthy for us to resurrect a good old healthy fear of God. What? Okay, you're talking about guilt? And now you're talking about fear of God? Am I in a church? Yesterday I talked to my dad on the phone and Right now, my dad, you know, he's a pastor, small little church, right there on the Tennessee-Mississippi line. And they, I don't know, if they have 50 in church today, it'll be a good day. He'll preach like there's 5,000. Spoke to him on the phone yesterday, and, you know, I was sitting there, and I was talking, and as I was studying last night, I'm like, you know what, I, re- I remember growing up loving my dad, still love my dad, my dad loves me, but, but I grew up with a healthy fear of my father. You say, you mean you, mean you, you shuddered in, in, in fear when it comes? No, 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 not, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I don't mean that there was a, I can't approach my dad, I'm afraid. Here's what I mean by that, this healthy respect. I, I mean that there were some things that I did that I might not would have done, except I did them because I had a fear of my dad's punishment. And there were things that I might have done that I did not do because, again, I had a fear of the punishment that my dad brought out. You say you trembled before him out of fear not one time. Not one time. Profound respect and honor for him. So when it says there, guys, that we're to have a fear of God, it doesn't mean that you're frightened before God. It doesn't mean that you're trembling before God. It doesn't mean you cringe in terror before God. It means that you have such a profound respect for God that you take his judgment seriously and it causes you to do things that otherwise you wouldn't do and it causes you to refrain from doing things that may be otherwise you would do. Why? Because I have a healthy respect and fear for God. And Paul's talking, about Paul says, that's one of the biggest problems. He says, that is the picture of the human heart apart from Jesus Christ. That is our curse of sin, a guilty nature. I told you it wasn't going to be pleasant when we looked in the mirror. I mean, you're like, wow, I didn't even realize I had all those faults and flaws and blemishes. Hey, listen, he's going easy on us. And notice I'm using the terminology, us. See, see, there's a couple of things that unite us this morning. It's not necessarily the sports teams that we pull for. It's not our backgrounds. It's not our jobs. It's not whether we like it hot or cold or anything, whether a Ford's better than a Chevy or any of those things. What unites us today is we're all sinners. Rotten to the core. Collabored. Ooh, that's nasty. Ruined my bowl of cereal. And we all need a savior. So if I stopped right there and I said, Let's pray, now everybody who would like to come, come. Some of you be like, Well, this is a terrible place to be. I'm getting out of here as quick as I can. So we won't stop there. Let's keep going because we want to finish on a high note. Not only does he talk about our guilty nature, but he secondly talks about God's gracious nature. He's already identified, I'm holding up the mirror. I've got a problem. What is the problem? I'm a sinner. My nature's bent towards sin. I choose to sin. But you know what? That's the curse of sin. The good news is what? God loves us. God knows us better than we know our own selves. And God has made a way of forgiveness from that guilty, sinful nature. And it's through his gracious nature. Couple of things that I want you to see, and we'll we'll close shop today. The first one is this: His law exposes my sin. Look in verse 19. He says in 19, so that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Look at the last part of verse 20. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So God is, or Paul is basically saying that God has revealed in the Old Testament his law. His law was revealed not so that you might perfectly be able to keep the law. There's no way that you were ever going to be able to keep the law. I mean, the Ten Commandments, I got to keep that. The Old Testament commandments, the Levitical law. There are things that I've got to keep so that I might be right with God. He says God never gave those things expecting that you would be able to keep that, expecting you to be made right with him. I mean, that's what they were saying. We're trying to keep the Ten Commandments, and I can't do it. You, like me, you'll come into contact with folks today, and I'll sit there and I'll say, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And they say, well, yeah, I I, I do. And I say, well, how do you know that? Well, because I'm a pretty good person. You know, I hadn't killed anybody. I've been faithful to my spouse, and I've fed my kids, and I voted in every election, and I voted the right way, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, Jesus came along. You remember what he did? Hey, listen, I know that you guys have heard it said that you shall not commit murder. You should not kill someone else. I'm telling you, you may not have killed someone physically, but if you've had hatred in your heart toward them, you're guilty of murder. Students, any of y'all ever had hatred in your heart for someone else? Maybe someone else in your house, brother, sister, mom, dad, you know. I've been faithful to my spouse. He's like, okay, let's talk about that just a little bit. Have you ever lusted? You're guilty of adultery. So Christ comes on the scene, and Christ is like, I know you guys have thought this entire time the law was given so that you might live that way so that you might be right with God and the harder you try the more messed up you get the guiltier you realize that you are it was never intended for that purpose instead it was intended to show you that you are a sinner that is incapable of saving your own self He would say, if you didn't know that there was a law, if there was no law, you wouldn't realize that you're a sinner. Thereby, Thereby, you wouldn't know that you need a Savior. And then God revealed his love through Jesus, and he provided our salvation. Guys, the only thing the law does is make us realize just how big of a failure we are. And every day, or excuse me, one day, every person who has never received the forgiveness of God, will stand before God and they'll give an account for their own sin. You say, well, I'm glad that's going to be a long way off, is it? Just this morning, getting ready to come out to preach, and my sister who lives in Tennessee texts me and said, hey, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but a guy that I grew up with, we very close friends with, she said he died this morning. My age, 50, died this morning. I was talking to a friend of mine this morning. And they were like, yeah, this guy that I know that's a friend of mine, 55, died just a few days ago. Now now hear me, I'm not trying to scare you, but I, I will tell you, if I can scare you out of hell into heaven, I'll scare you all day. I'm trying to be real. I mean, you can sit there and say, well, I'll not choose him today. But don't, don't, don't propagate the lie. I'll have another opportunity some other time. Maybe you will. I would say hell's probably populated with people today that said, oh, not today at a better time. Maybe a better opportunity. Maybe when there's not as many people or maybe when things are a little bit different in my life. Maybe when I get some things right and I clean some things up. Maybe just not today. I didn't wear the right kind of clothes. You know, I got a lunch meeting that I got to go to today. No, 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 no. Today's the day of salvation. It makes it very clear. But everyone who's not received the forgiveness of God will stand before God one day. And Paul says, he's already talked about this a little bit in the first eight verses of chapter three. They're going to do what we as human beings do the best. They're going to offer excuses for their own sin. Well, the reason why I didn't become a Christian and surrender to Jesus Christ is because all those hypocrites down at Highland Park Baptist Church yeah, the reason why I didn't choose Christ and receive the grace that he can give is because, you know, I went to that church one time and all the preacher talked about was giving money. And by the way, the red drop box is when you leave today, that's where you slide your offering and <laughs> you'll see a slide on the screen before you leave. You can give electronically and just want you to know that we're to be faithful in our obedience to give. But you know what? The reason, the reason why I did not become a Christian is because I did not understand the Bible. That they're going to be ready. They're going to be ready to make all those excuses. They're there, oh, well, because of this or because of that. God, you need to understand, I was going to. Look at what he says in verse 19. Every mouth may be stopped. For every person that is going to make an excuse as they are giving account for their own sin, standing before God, that God is going to say in all of his holy righteousness, you shut your mouth. And I'm telling you, friend, when God says to shut your mouth, your mouth will be shut. There will be no person who can make one acceptable excuse before God. Paul's saying the law, you guys have put way too much emphasis and value on the law. The law was given to make us realize that we are sinners, that we are failures. Have you come to that point in your life where you realize, you know what, there's no way that I'm going to be able to live a life good enough to earn my way into heaven. Have you come to that point where you've held that mirror up and you're like, you know what, it seems as though when I look at myself, I'm seeing I'm filled with all kinds of mistakes. I tell you what I like to do. I like to say, "Well, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than Charles Manson. I'm better than a terrorist. Better than Hitler." Um. I used to say this about my neighbors, but I mean, I mean, not my neighbors now, because a lot of people who live in my neighborhood go to church here. Um. <laughs> It was the neighborhood, I, well, not even the neighborhood that I lived in before I moved to that because a, a lot of people from that neighborhood go to church here. Uh, the neighborhood we lived in, Little Rock. <laughs> well, I'm better than my neighbor. No, 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 we don't get that option, right? We talked about this last week. Comparisons will get us nowhere. Just admit it. I'm a sinner. I was born that way, and I choose that way. There's no way I can ever be good enough to earn God's acceptance. You will never ever be prepared for heaven. You will never ever have a sin forgiven until you eventually come to the point where you realize on my own, I'm guilty. So his law exposes my sin. Here's the last one. His love extends forgiveness for my sin. Because God loved the world. Some of you are like, well, I'd like to debate you on that statement. Well, let's do it, Hoss. That's what Scripture says. For God so loved the world. Last time I checked, that'd be everybody. That he gave his son, Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves me so much that he's willing to provide forgiveness to any sinner who will trust him. Now, we'll get to Romans chapter 5, okay? Not this morning, but, well, we will this morning. We're just not going to go all the way through 4 to get there. We'll eventually get to Romans 5, and we'll get over to verse 8. A great promise of God in Romans 5, 8. When we finally get there, act like it's brand new and you've not heard it. But listen to what it says. God demonstrated his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I tell you, mm, I read that and I'm like, I'm so glad he didn't say, you know what? You clean yourself up and then I'll save you. Hey, hey, you get that tongue right, then I'll save you. Now you get that rotten mind, those lips that say hurtful things, you get all that fixed. Then you talk to me about heaven. Now, that's not what it says. He died for me while I was still bound in my own sin. And so I come to the point where I realize I'm a failure. You're like, well, that's not what we're supposed to teach. Well, I mean, you know, A good dose of right never hurt anybody. I'm a failure. I'm a sinner. I'm rotten. On my own, nothing good. But God knew that. And God made a way so that I might be set free from my sin and be forgiven. Billy Graham. Uh, he uh, he said this one time. I, I I love, I love me some Billy Graham. Uh, got everything he's ever written, and uh, just a great great harvester of souls. You know a, a lot of a lot of the preachers, I, I wouldn't say they got mad at Billy Graham. They were they they might have been jealous of Billy Graham, because they would work so hard to come up with the uh, perfectly exegeted sermon and everything's just right and study the language and all this kind of stuff. And and they would preach and preach and preach. Billy Graham would show up in town and he would say, come, give your heart to Jesus, come now. And by the thousands, folks would come. He just had the gift. He wasn't the one doing the saving. God was doing the saving. Billy was the one saying, hey, come on, let me point you To the water that'll never run dry. Here's here's what he said. I read this. He said that he was over in England one time and he went to a mental health institution. He said there were hundreds of folks there. And uh, he asked the director of this mental health institution, what's the problem? And here's what the director said. The director said, Some of you are like, he's not wearing socks today. (laughs) That's the way I roll. (laughs) Here's what Billy Graham said. The director told him, you know, half of the people in this place could go home if they would just realize they could be forgiven. And if they could just forgive themselves. Mm. One of two things when it comes to forgiveness today. Maybe you're that person that needs to understand. Yeah, you're rotten. So am I. (laughs) Apart from Christ, we can never hope for eternity. But today there's forgiveness and it's found in a relationship with Jesus. Don't delay, don't wait. You've heard me say it before. The day and time we live in, my goodness, I I wouldn't, if I didn't know I was saved, I wouldn't go to sleep at night. If I didn't know I was saved, I wouldn't wake up in the morning. I mean, I tease, there's no way I'd get in my truck and drive down Highway 231. Uh Uh-uh. It'd be hard to get out of this parking lot with any peace if you didn't know you were saved. Today's the day to be saved. And then, then, listen to me. Some of y'all need to hear this. The day that you trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, He forgave. Not just sin that you had committed. He forgave every sin you would ever commit that would condemn you to hell. So some of you today, listen to me, you you know that you have a relationship with Christ. That's been settled. You've surrendered your life to him. And he's forgiven you. It's about time you forgive yourself. Don't rob him of glory by forgiving a failure like you. Go ahead and forgive yourself. Would you bow your heads with me today? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. We come to a time of response. Here's what that means. Okay, pastor, I've heard what you had to say. I've heard what the scripture says. Now, I'm going to lay that across my heart and see where it is. that I need to be obedient. Again, some of you in this room, somebody said something that hurt you. I don't know, maybe, maybe this morning, maybe this morning, your, your torment and your pain Maybe it comes from, I don't know, something something you said or something you did. Hey friend, your your Lord, your Savior Jesus. He's forgiven you. Go ahead, and let go of that today. You say, well, I want to take it serious. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't tell you to do anything. Anything else? But Scripture tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. Go ahead right now. Christ, I trust your forgiveness is sufficient. And then there are others of you today. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Again, maybe you'd say, well, maybe some other time, maybe later, or maybe this or maybe that. You examine your life. There's no fruit whatsoever in your life that would give you any indication that you have a relationship with him. Why don't today you go ahead and settle this thing once and for all? I'm just saying, He wants you to be in relationship with him, and he wants you to have assurance and peace of that relationship with him. If you don't have peace today, why don't you get that before you get in your car and you go home? Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you today for listening to our Changeable Truth Podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word. by us. If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North York in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, W. Dot Highland and that's H I L A N D P A R K dot org. If you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at Highland That's dot Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been told. God bless.